Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today is no exception. I am delighted to be with Dr. Carrie Jones, who is the medical director at Precision Analytic, Analytical. Excuse me. We're going to be talking. Actually, let me just start that baby again. I'm Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I'm your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, and I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Carrie Jones. Uh, she's the medical director at Precision Analytical, and we both graduated together at the same time, the same class from National University of Natural Medicine School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she informs me it's snowing vigorously today. <laughs> um, Dr. Jones was also adjunct faculty for many years teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology. She completed a two-year residency in advanced women's health, gynecology, and hormones, and later went on to complete her master's of public health at Grand Canyon University in Arizona. She's been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland, Oregon, and is currently the medical director at Precision Analytical. She often writes for women's health websites and takes part in loads of podcasts, actually, and <laughs> interviews that promote hormone education to both public and practitioners. She frequently lectures both nationally and internationally on the topics of adrenal and hormone health. Dr. Jones, it's always fabulous to talk to you. Welcome to New Frontiers. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back and get to talk with you today. Absolutely. You know, your podcast, actually your podcast and the training you did for our clinical development pro program, both of them are some of the most popular content we have. Oh, I love to hear that. We get, I get a ton of feedback. Like you, I heard you on, you know, Dr. Kara's podcast and it was just amazing. <laughs> I love listening to you two together. <laughs> well, you know, I think the reason is that you bring a remarkably practical um, Monday morning kind of take home um, applicability to everything you say. I mean, you really have doable interventions and ideas and thoughts on cases for um, really everything you talk about. You're just, you know, I, we, everybody, we just got fabulous feedback from, um, you know, just the practice changing stuff you discussed. Well, I'll keep that up then. <laughs> yeah, keep it That's up. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep it up. Indeed. Well, I can tell you've been teaching for, for many years. It comes through. Um, all right. So we're talking about your flagship test today, the Dutch, and we're going to jump into some new additions on the Dutch, which I'm pretty excited about because I order the test all the time. But first of all, give me an overview on what the Dutch test is. Give me yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I always tell people we are not testing for Dutch heritage. It is an acronym. <laughs> it stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. So basically it is strips of filter paper that you would urinate on first thing in the morning, two hours later, around dinner and before bed. Let it dry, send it in. And because it is a urine test, we get all your main hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, what have you. But we then get the pathways and the metabolites that you can pick up because it is a urine test, so you just get that much more clinically helpful information. Versus Like saliva. serum, right? Or saliva, exactly. You run a, a blood test or a saliva test and you get, let's pretend, estrogen. You just get an estradiol and that's it. And if it's normal or, you know, even low or high, you think, oh, it's just estradiol that I'm addressing. But when you do urine testing, like the Dutch test, you get the phase one and the phase two detox markers. 
So not only do you get to understand what's going on with estrogen, is it high or low, but you also then get to see like, how is your body processing it? Mm -hmm. Which I think is extremely important uh, additional content and guides me in how I'm addressing my patients all the time. Now, one of the recent um, analytes that you've started to uh, report is the cortisol awakening response. Talk about what that is. Absolutely. It's a hyper focus on the first hour of the morning. So this is where we took the greatness of the dried urine test and we actually added in saliva with it. So people are like, whoa, I thought you were a urine company. Like I know, but the cortisol awakening response is a response that happens right as you're about to open your eyes in the morning, right? You're asleep, you're asleep. So your brain is talking to your adrenals going, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. And when you open your eyes, then all bets are off and your cortisol is supposed to go up. It's supposed to go up for about the first 30 to 60 minutes and then come down again. That's the spike that you see. Now, traditional testing looks at first thing in the morning and about two hours later to give you a general idea. It's kind of a general overview. But if you have that patient that really wakes up with symptoms, they wake up with anxiety, panic, pain, autoimmune symptoms, they can't wake up. <laughs> they hit their alarm 16 times and then need four cups of coffee. When we look, we focus right in on that first 60 minutes, we get a lot of specific answers as opposed to general answers. What do you generally do two hours in the morning, But um, which is compared to what do you do in the first 60 minutes of your day? And because most people can't urinate on command, well, I might be able to, but we need like in the moment, right? We need like waking and then we need 30 minutes later and then we need 60 minutes later. So it had to be saliva because nobody wants their blood drawn. And um, we do it with cotton swabs. They just put the cotton swab in their mouth, get it wet, take it out 30 minutes later, do it again, 30 minutes later, do it again. I so appreciate that you guys jumped on this. I think there's some cool research on the cortisol awakening response. And I just, you know, th th that you were so responsive and added this, no pun intended. You yeah. Know, you've got good cortisol awakening response over there as a lab. Right, exactly. Well, they say, I've, I've read in a couple of places that, you know, if you can't get your cortisol awakening response right, it's the, it's, they call it the mini stress test of your HPA access. So if you can't get that right, you're probably not going to get much else right with your HPA access. So when you know what your first hour of your day is and can correct that, usually it corrects the rest of your, you know, 23 hours. So this is, a, this is an actual add-on. It's the Dutch Plus test where you get the cortisol awakening response, correct? Yes, it is a, it's a separate test. So it's, the, it's all the urine markers plus we add in these extra saliva cotton swabs. And we are doing that routinely now. I've actually gone from using the standard Dutch to adding the car for everybody. I think it's really that fundamental. Um, and okay, so now you've expanded. Um, <laughs> I was in, uh, yep, you've expanded again. I was actually in dialogue with Mark Newman, your um, chief bottle washer over there. About, <laughs> <laughs> about, and I love talking to him because he's such a, he's such an analytical scientist. He's such a geek and he's been, he's just been falling in love with organic acid testing for a long time and, and, and thinking about adding, adding analytes to the Dutch and you've finally done that. So talk to me about what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So we have what's called now the Dutch extras, which we had added before melatonin and the um, oxidative stress marker, 8-OHDG, and then Mark expanded on that. So we have added three nutritional organic acid markers. We've added the um, MMA for B12 and xanthurinate for B6 and uh, pyroglutamate for glutathione. And then we added three neurotransmitter metabolites. So we have HVA, um, which is a, I mean, it's a dopamine metabolite, but of course it represents a lot more. And then VMA, which is a norepinephrine epinephrine metabolite and 5-HIAA, which is a serotonin metabolite. And the reason we added them is because they directly relate to the Dutch results, to hormone results. And it just gives you that much more information. Well, let me walk through each of the sections of the new organic acids and how they relate to hormones. So the nutritional markers, the xanthurinate, the MMA, um, what's going on? Why do we want to know these when we're looking at somebody's hormones? Definitely. So MMA, methylmalonate for B12. We Obviously, if somebody is low B12, they're going to have the typical symptoms like fatigue or, um, you know, tremors. Um, but we also need methyl, especially methyl B12 for phase two estrogen detox. So if you do a Dutch test and you see, oh, my patient cannot get from phase one to phase two, they can't clear their estrogen out, they can't methylate very well, you can look at the methyl B12, the MMA, and see maybe I need to add more B12 into their, into their mix to, mm-hmm. to, to help and to, and to see if that's a big cause. Well, I see that routinely. I mean, I see that I see poor methylation evidence on the Dutch test in my in my patients all of the time. So having a handy MMA there is 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 useful. You know that evaluation. Yeah, so absolutely. Have, yeah, and I remind people because they forget. You know, I said, you know, B twelve is is absorbed right with um in this in the stomach and the small intestine. So if your B twelve is low, you're either not eating it or you're not absorbing it. Right, you're not getting it in. So maybe you should back up and look at intestinal stuff, look at, you know, stomach stuff and see what's going on. So it even can point you in other directions. Like, yes, you need B12, but maybe you should address why the B12 is low in the first place. And that'll set you off on a whole other rabbit hole. Yeah, that's it'll, right. it'll help. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's essential. That's a, good, that's a really good call. Why B6? Because again, um, with a P5P, the methylated form of B6, it can really go with that phase one, phase two detox for estrogen. And of course, B6 is used in what, like over a hundred enzymatic reactions in the body. It helps make neurotransmitters, you know, so like brain health stuff. It helps with something called the transsulfuration pathway, which makes cysteine, which is part of glutathione. So we tested, we're testing pyroglutamate for glutathione. So it really has its fingers in so many pots from estrogen to neurotransmitters to detox. And we added it so you can just say, let's look at, let's look at B6 markers. Now, the other big thing, xanthurinate itself, um, if it's elevated, it can actually increase the risk for diabetes and it can cause um, insulin problems. And we know that diabetes and insulin problems greatly contribute to hormone problems and adrenal problems. So if you have high xanthurinate, then I might say, hey, let's get you also worked up for blood sugar and insulin let's assess your diet and see what's going on. And maybe that's why your hormones and adrenals are a mess because your blood sugar and your insulin is a mess because your xanthurinate is high and we can, we can address this with B6 and diet. That's great. Good. The good. That's, that's a really nice um, 
synopsis of xanthorinate. Also, the evidence on xanthorinate, I should throw out there, is really pretty solid as a, as a functional marker of B6 status. It's definitely more useful than getting a serum B6. Right, right. Okay, so glutathione, talk to me about that molecule and, you know, and pyroglutamate and its relationship to hormones. Definitely. Now, glutathione is, I mean, I think it's definitely one of like the most important antioxidant in the body. And so with pyroglutamate um, or pyroglutamic acid, believe it or not, if the, if the level is high or low, is it a problem? And it means you're either not able to make glutathione or you can't recycle it or something in your body like an infection is causing you to use it all up. And these absolutely uh, correlate with your hormones and of course your cortisol because with hormones, we're looking at, again, estrogen detox. Let's start there. So let's pretend in your estrogen detox, you're headed more towards the cancer pathway. The glutathione, there's a sort of, I call it a stop gap, the GST gene and, and enzyme can help redirect that cancer pathway back to the beginning so you don't continue along. Well, if you're not if you don't have enough glutathione, then your chance of continuing down the cancer pathway goes up and you know nobody wants that, no man or woman. And that's just for estrogen. We have another marker called 8-OHDG, which is for DNA damage and oxidative stress. So let's pretend you got some sort of environmental exposure like herbicides or pesticides or heavy metals, and it's causing you some DNA damage, which is showing up on our test, and it's glutathione that's trying to help combat that. Well, now it's getting used up because you have all this exposure. You can see it right on the Dutch test, like, oh my gosh, this is affecting me way more than I thought it was or even, or even realized, just as an example. Or even people who are exposed to like moldy buildings, you know, we've, mycotoxin is, is a huge thing um, everywhere, <laughs> and, and it uses up a lot of glutathione in the body to try to, to, try to help you get back to stability. And so I can look at the test and be like, wow, this is actually a lot more significant than we thought. You're, you're either using it all up or you can't even make it in the first place. Right. So we have to help you. And that's just one, those are just like, what, three examples? I mean, it's just, it's just super important. And how do you address that clinically? What are you doing? With glutathione? Well, there's a couple options, right? You can do, um, you, you can go bigger. <laughs> People will say, well, can I test the transsulfuration pathway? Can I test cysteine? Can I test, you know, some of these other markers? Yeah, absolutely. You can try to really pinpoint where the glutathione problem is. Other people choose to give the precursors, NAC, N-acetylcysteine to help um, make glutathione. They'll give glycine to help make glutathione, or they'll just straight up give liposomal glutathione to um, replenish what's missing. Okay. There's, there's also some cofactors, right, mm -hmm. that make glutathione. So that's another area where I might say, hey, you know, it actually does require B6. So look at xanthirinate. It does require vitamin C and selenium, um, zinc, and what's the other one? Oh, B2, B2, to help recycle it and make it. So I'm like, well, you, maybe, maybe we should look at some other, maybe we should do some broader vitamin testing or, yeah. you yeah. know, look at absorption again or like talk to them about their, their dietary intake and see what's going on. And and B12 is a big player too, because if you can't recycle, um, you, if you can't oh, keep right. methylation happening, you're not going to have homocysteine to shuttle into transsulfuration and make glutathione. So homocysteine right. is, is, is an essential actor, you know, supplying that cysteine. So Totally. Yep. Um, I just want to back up. You mentioned the cancer pathway. Can you just articulate what that is and how we might analyze it on the Dutch test? 
Yeah, for sure. So when male or female, you make an estrogen, you make estradiol, and then the body has to get rid of it. So it pushes it into phase one detoxification. And it has three pathways it can choose from. It chooses the two pathway, the four pathway, or the 16 pathway. So the two pathway is generally considered the healthier pathway. The four pathway, if not methylated, if it doesn't go through phase two, it turns tail and it goes down what I call the naughty pathway, which is also called the quinone pathway with a Q. And when it goes down the quinone pathway, it's headed towards the potential to make cancer, to get um, mutations that happen in DNA. So the body and all of its wisdom has two stop gaps on the way. One is through an enzyme called quinone reductase, and the other is through um, glutathione, sulfur transferase. And basically, those two stop gaps are to help your body not continue you down the naughty pathway, but to turn you around and get you, you know, back on the path of enlightenment <laughs> for your estrogens so that you can methylate them out properly and get rid of them. But if you're missing glutathione, then it just swoops right through the toll booth like nothing and heads right down towards potential cancer creation. And you'll see that because you'll, you'll see the four hydroxyestrogen will be high. elevated yeah. and we'll see the methylation will be low. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it's, it's actually, if you haven't used the Dutch test yet, listeners will have links on the site and you can, they've got a lot of great videos and they've got some sample reports and interpreting the Dutch test is really pretty straightforward and you guys offer a lot of support in it. In fact, your um, tech team is helpful. And, yes. and provides guidance actually even unrequested yes. you'll give you'll give some reviews to folks which I appreciated when I first started using it and um and you can continue to access your tech team as needed right yeah absolutely there's six of us doctors on staff and so um we we do we call them clinical consults and so practitioners can schedule appointments to go over their patients results and everybody gets 30 minutes and they're free and we do them Monday through Friday so we are here <laughs> for you Yep, you are. All right. And so let's talk about the neurotransmitter metabolites that you mentioned, um, you know, in relation to common hormone associated issues like fatigue or mood swings. So, you know, give me the lowdown on the neurotransmitter markers, how they're related to hormones and just what we might do about it or think about it with, you know, a handful of patterns. Absolutely. Now with HVA, which is homovanillate and v uh, VMA, which is vanil mandalate, um, I tend to think of them together. I tend to think of them um, because they'll go, they can go up together, they can go down together, and one or the other one can be high. So with HVA, uh, is the dopamine metabolite, and of course, VMA is the norepinephrine, norepinephrine, epinephrine metabolite. So if they're both really elevated, both of them, then we tend to think of, you know, high anxiety and high stress and, and that fight or flight um, mindset. And so we can look at the adrenals and see what the cortisol is doing as well. But it also can maybe give us some insight um, into genetics because there are two genetic enzyme or SNPs that help break them down. One is COMPT, mm -hmm. which we inadvertently look at when we're looking at phase two detox. And the other is MAO. So if they have COMPT or MAO issues, then um, their HVA and their VMA might be high. Now, on the flip side, if the HVA and VMA are quite low, right, fatigue is a big one, addiction, addictive personality, depression. Um, and so now, again, we're looking back at the HPA axis saying, 
why can the adrenals not maybe put out, especially norepinephrine and epinephrine and even a little bit of dopamine to figure out what is, are they so tired because it's an HPA problem? Or maybe it is a genetic problem. Maybe again, once again, it's a comped MAO issue causing a lot of these symptoms. And in the creation of HVA and VMA, there's a number of um, coenzymes that help move them forward. So it can also point you in that direction too. If you're to get from one to the other one requires certain, you know, nutrients. And so if one's high or low, we can go, oh, look at these nutrients and see. And um you you actually have a pretty nice discussion on the report walking three people through the various patterns, correct? They yes. The tech team? Yes. Yep. Okay. What, I mean, so now you've looked at, I'm sure, thousands of Dutch assays <laughs> over, yes. over your time yeah. there. I mean, what, what, do you, what kind of cortisol patterns might you expect to see? I mean, I, that's probably really not a straight answer, but I'm just curious, given the time that you've looked at them, do you, what, when you see abnormal HVA, VMA, either high or low, you know, what might you see with, with, with that's going on with cortisol? Yeah. And usually it, usually it sort of correlates across the board. So if HVA and VMA are high, they're, they're in an upregulated state. I tend to, now not always, but I tend to see higher cortisol levels. And when everything's low, I tend to see lower cortisol levels as well. Um, not always. So for example, maybe their cortisol is fine um, or the opposite. They have really high levels of VMA, but really low levels of cortisol. And the person says, well, I'm tired with a lot of anxiety. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> because yep. your cortisol production and, and free cortisol is low, but your VMA is high. So you are in fight or flight emotionally, but yes. tired because you don't have cortisol. Right. I've seen that pattern running on adrenaline. Yes. So what, give me a handful of interventions that you're thinking about with some of these patterns. Absolutely. So the big one to get from HVA to VMA requires copper and vitamin C. And so if you see that the HVA is normal or, or high usually, and the VMA is low, then you may have to assess them for copper and you may have to assess them for vitamin C. And I remind people, you know, hey, the vitamin C is required by the adrenals. So if you see this pattern, I mean, you can test them, sure. But if they also have adrenal problems, HPA problems, just put them on vitamin C. Yes. And as we all know, it's like the nastiest cold and flu season ever. So yes. just put them on vitamin C and then, you know, go do a serum copper on them and, and see if they need copper support as well. Incidentally, vitamin C is a pretty fabulous recycler of glutathione. It's a major player oh, there. Yes, so, good yeah, point. Right, right. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be nourishing that area as well, which is great. And the other thing is that they're made from amino acids, the the HVA and VMA, and even 5-HIA. So um, they're made from tyrosine and, and tryptophan, respectively. So we, I find that a lot of um, patients don't eat enough protein. Um, and, and therefore, or, or they have a lot of digestive issues that they can't, they don't digest their protein very well. And so their levels are maybe low because they just don't even have the, the initial starting precursor to make it. Mm -hmm. And so we just go all the way back to diet. Like, do you even eat enough protein and what is going on with your, you know, stomach and intestines to get it in you in the first place? And then you may have to just make some adjustments starting from right in the beginning. Right. Very smart. So again, just going back to rest, digest, adequate nutrition, uh, you know, good gut function. Perfect. Right. 
I know right. it all it all sources back there so so much of the time. What if what if HVA and VMA are really high? What are you thinking about as far as interventions? Um, usually, I'm I'm well. I first and foremost, I always ask them: Are you taking stimulatory stuff? Are you on? Um, you know, like ADD medication, right? Are you, do you do a lot of caffeine? Did you do caffeine at the time of this test? Are you taking the appetite suppressants like fentermine? Are you on Sudafed because it's cold and flu season? So first I ask those questions. Then I ask, are you actually taking the precursors? Are you taking tyrosine? Are you taking L-DOPA? Are you taking um, uh, Macuna, which has dopamine in it? And then if they're like, no, 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 I don't take any of that. So then it's calming. Then I'm doing like, hey, look, this primarily is probably HPA fight or flight related. Let's do either mindful calming interventions, get to bed on time, meditation, journaling, acupuncture, what have you, and, and then calming adrenal support, holy basil. Um, I, I, use, I still use vitamin C, even though it's not quite calming, it's supportive. I, you know, ashwagandha, magnolia, skullcap, passionflower, sort of these, or L-theanine, love L-theanine, just these calming, nurturing supplements to help while you're addressing the cause. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, all right, so 5-H-I-A-A, 5-hydroxyindolacetate is the serotonin marker that you're offering now. Um, why don't you just give me an overview on that, you're thinking about it, and then um, if we're going to see any, if, if somebody's taking an SSRI, yeah. Uh, what might you, what what kind of patterns might we see? Right. Absolutely. Well, the one thing with 5-HIAA, well, serotonin, let me just start with serotonin. People forget 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut. It helps with motility, which is good. And it helps with um, smooth muscle activity. So to, you know, get things moved forward mm -hmm. and only roughly about 1% is made in the brain and the, and the rough is, rest is out there in uh, your peripheral tissue. So I know people say, you know, oh, you can't test serotonin. It's, it's not a direct measurement of the brain. We're like, we know <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. but usually because the gut and the brain talk all day long, um, through the vagus nerve, if, if it's going on in the gut, it's probably going on in the brain and vice versa. And so, um, the 5-HIAA is really nice because it gives us an indication of maybe what's happening with serotonin system wide. Um, it does require this, the SNP MAO to break it down. So if you have an MAO issue on your genetic test, you may have a hard time getting from serotonin to 5-HIAA. And there's a number of things that get in the way of making serotonin that I don't think people even realize. Like estrogen is a great one as it relates to the Dutch test. Estrogen is required to get from tryptophan. Tryptophan is the amino acid that kicks everything off. So tryptophan to 5-HTP. And so if you don't have enough estrogen, let's pretend you're menopausal or you have irregular cycles or you're amenorrheic, um, then you don't have a lot of estrogen floating around. And these women tend to come in and say, I feel more depressed lately. And it's, they're missing out on that ability to jump forward to uh, make 5-HTP. Now on the flip side, estrogen dominance, which we can see on the Dutch test, estrogen dominance will um, divert the creation of serotonin away from serotonin and down a different pathway. It's called the kynurenine pathway. And so you can't really win. If you have too little estrogen or too much estrogen, you're going to lose out on serotonin and, and depression, which we know this. Women come in and go, I feel more depressed. I have more anxiety, whether they're too low or too high estrogen. This, this is a big reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what happens, right? They get put on an SSRI. Here, take Prozac. <laughs> okay. And then what are you seeing on labs when people are on an SSRI? 
We, if they have healthy levels of tryptophan, then uh, making serotonin, then we should see high levels of 5-HIAA. That means that the medication, the antidepressant me medication is working. So don't freak out. Don't think they're on too much. If you have high levels of 5-HIAA and they are on an SSRI or SNRI like Wellbutrin, they will have high levels of 5-HIAA. Now, and the same if they're on 5-HTP, you know, if they're taking the supplement, that will drive it up as well. Yeah. In fact, I see 5-HTP, since it's metabolized peripherally, drive it up more yes. than SSRIs. We see that all the time. Right. And it isn't a cause for concern. It's just confirmation. They're taking it and they're metabolizing it. Right. Um, and so serotonin is also converted to melatonin and you have melatonin on the panel as well. So I think that's a nice little piece that yes. can be useful. Yep. And, and it's interesting. So in estrogen, um, in low estrogen states, you're going to see low serotonin and low melatonin for the, the, the estrogen conversion need. And then in inflammatory estrogen states, all your, all your tryptophan is being commandeered and shuttled down the kynurenine pathway, as you mentioned. So you're going to see actually a really similar picture in both cases. And both cases are going to present with some really pretty lousy symptoms. Right. And, and, you, and practitioners know this. When, you, when I explain this, when I'm like, think of your perimenopausal woman who's heading into menopause and she comes to your office and says, I used to be in a good mood and could sleep and now I can't. Now I'm depressed and I can't sleep. What's going on? And low estrogen causing low serotonin causing low melatonin is one big reason. Yeah, what a lot. That's just, that's really logical. You know, in truth, when Mark first started pinging me, because I did my background in, in laboratory science and did a lot of focus on organic acids over the years. He, I know, I was nervous to talk to you. He's like, all right, you're going to talk with Kara. I'm like, no, this is what she does. She's an expert. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you're, you're, you're actually doing a rocking job. And the fact, <laughs> you really are, Kara. And the fact that you're actually marrying it to the hormones is a little, is out of my wheelhouse. And I just, I just really, really appreciate it. And so what I was going to say was that when Mark first started pinging me with these organic acid questions and, you know, he was batting around thinking about which ones he would do. And I was like, you know, really, are you going to do this? And, 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 and I, I supported him and I thought he made some good and interesting choices, but honestly, you're marrying the relevance together for me in a, in a really, really nice way. Oh, good. And I'm, it's, it's on um, our, our results if you are on six different pages. So I tell people you will flip a lot because you'll flip forward and flip backwards and like, oh, that's B6. And you'll flip back and oh, B12. Okay. And you're flipping back to the estrogen page and then you're flipping to the cortisol page, but it's all in one test. So you just, you just get one test and you get all these answers and can really just help your patient that much deeper. And you guys, I don't think you actually raised the price on it. We did not. No, we added it for no extra charge just to give more information. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, okay, so, I, you know, can you, well, I have a couple of questions now. It, well, first of all, are there any single nucleotide polymorphisms that you, that you want to cover in more detail? I know we called, we talked about COMPT, we talked about glutathione transferase and MAO, or any, any other relevant players come to mind in this whole journey? And the whole journey. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I know it gets, and this is your wheelhouse hundred percent, you know, everyone is on the MTHFR train and, and I just want people to realize having a mutation with MTHFR. And when I talk about estrogen methylation, it's it, right. It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not apples yes. and apples. It's not the yes. same thing. Of course, MTHFR it plays a big role 
and all of this, but I just remind people, well, actually it's, it's COMPT, it's C-O-M-T that's with estrogen is kind of helping convert one to the other, but you need the whole methylation cycle to work in which MTHFR is a part of. And I think that, you know, I'm in my practice, people come to me having measured, having tested for their SNPs, and I, I need to talk them off the ledge <laughs> often these days. You know, that it's not having any of these mutations, hetero or homozygous, isn't a death sentence. You know, if we see evidence that they're imbalanced, they're, you know, or that we're, we're, we're suspecting imbalance coming from the SNPs, it's imminently correctable. And sometimes we really don't see evidence of imbalance. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I have people that tell me I have the comp SNP, I, you know, either hetero or homo. And I'm like, well, but your estrogens look fine and your, yep. your VMA and HVA are totally within normal range. I yep. don't think it's manifesting. I, yay. I mean, you have yep. it. Yep. Ignore it. That's right. That's right. I mean, and, and, you know, it's not always about loading up on a really intense supplement protocol, which again, people will come to me taking many, many things. Yeah. I mean, what you pointed out immediately, which I thought was brilliant in your discussion of interventions was, you know, take the, what was lifestyle modification. Always, right? Isn't it everything? Don't you find the more research you read, Yes. You, you, learn, you get more of the why, but the treatment's always the same. It always comes right back to lifestyle. It does. Lifestyle and diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's our big, those are our two biggest leverage areas. And most folks that I talk to, most clinicians will, will bring in the lifestyle piece, recognizing that it's important. And I'm guilty of doing this too as the last intervention. And you brought it first front and center. So you go, Dr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, all right. Any cases that you want to, that you, that you can think of off the top of your head where you went in and did some correcting that, that, that you can, I know I'm putting you on the spot here that you can think of. <laughs> I know no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. I actually just um, pre uh, presented a case of a um, perimenopausal woman presenting with depression and anxiety. And it, I mean, it just sort of ties into what I've said with estrogen. Um, but she was alternating between some months she had a period and she had really bad PMS and other months, of course, she's perimenopausal. She had no period. And then she said, my depression and anxiety is worse. And she said, I don't understand why with the, with the skipping of periods or the missing of periods, my hormone symptoms change so dramatically. And so we happened to test her on a month where a PMS month, like we, her period was coming. And so she was estrogen dominant and, and she had low progesterone and, and she had, um, uh, low 5-HIAA, and she had high VMA. And so she was in a, in a job. She was actually a school teacher, which I wouldn't wish on anyone, unfortunately, right now. So her stress was very high, and, and it, was, it was like perfect. It was like the perfect lab results to say, like, this is why you feel this way. Obviously, a lot of it's situational. Your stress is very high. Your job is very demanding, but you're also perimenopausal. So on the months you're going to get your period, you're going to be estrogen dominant, you're going to be low progesterone, and you're going to have serotonin problems because the high estrogen is diverting you. And on the months you skip your period, you're going to feel more depressed and anxious because your estrogen plummets and your progesterone is already plummeted. It just stayed plummeted. And you're going to miss out on serotonin creation. And so the treatment plan was a little bit of on the months you feel like this, do this, right? Like on the months you feel more depressed and anxious, we're going to try to support estrogen and, and do 5-HTP. And then on the months you're feeling more PMS-y, we're going to focus a little bit more on, um, you know, estrogen detox and, and still supporting uh, 
5-HTP and, and serotonin. And so it was just really neat to sort of walk her through how she could switch from one month to the next. And it was important to know in her testing, is this a period month or is this a skip month? Because then I knew what I was looking at. Obviously, we addressed a lot of diet and lifestyle. As you can imagine, teachers often don't eat. They eat on the fly. They don't hydrate because they can't go to the bathroom. They have no time for that. And dehydration is a massive stress to the body. Um, so we were working on all of that while explaining when you flip perimenopausal is a time of chaos and it absolutely shows up in your labs like that. But we right. can we can be very individualized about it and work through that. Well, what's interesting too is I remember learning this a long time ago, actually, before I went to med school even, was that perimenopause, menopause journey is absolutely asymptomatic in other countries, <laughs> you know, the so-called developing countries. Right. And so, so why is that? I mean, what's the, major deal, what's the major deal breaker here? I think it's everything we've just said, right? Yeah. I think it's environmental toxins, lifestyle, and diet, it, it, uh, and st stress, you, which falls under lifestyle. Like it just, our bodies in these first world countries are just overwhelmed and we cannot just slide from perimenopause into menopause gracefully. Some women do it. I had this one amazing patient who had hot flashes one time and she said, I did menopause. That was it. <laughs> I was wow. like, what? Yes. Can I bottle up what you have? I could be a billionaire if I yeah. could sell that. But um, most women struggle with insomnia, anxiety, hot flashes, night sweats, weight gain, fatigue. And I said, you know, it's just... There's so much wear and tear on the body. It's like a trampoline. You jump on your trampoline all through your teens and 20s and 30s, and you hit the trampoline and you rebound, right? And the more you add from dietary choices, lifestyle, environmental exposure, stress, you just your trampoline gets threadbare. And then all of a sudden, you go to bounce one day, and you form a hole, and you hit the bottom, and it's hard to recover. And I think just our society and the way, I mean, I'm 100% uh, guilty of it. And I'm the medical director for Dutch test. Right. Um, you know, I think just this, this society nowadays, we don't take care of ourselves, and we add more on our plate and we're always on our phones and our computers. And it's, we're, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, we went to school together and I rode my bike all of the time. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I was permanently like in bike clothes and sort of mildly sweaty. <laughs> in fact, that's how I remember you. Well, of course, why wouldn't you? That's so funny. <laughs> but you know, and, and we thought we were so busy and overwhelmed and unhealthy and adrenal depleted and, you know, little do those students know. I know. I actually did a, I did an interview with them. Uh, a woman asking me about like my naturopathic, you know, background and, and all this stuff. And she said, what's your advice? Like, what advice do you have? And my first advice was because the point of the article was for physicians. I said, it's physician heal thyself. I, I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of labs now. And I can tell you the burnout rate is way higher in my practitioners I consult with yes. than the patient themselves. And in my, in the article I said, and if you're reading this and you're in school, I don't care if it's naturopathic allopathic chiropractic acupuncture i don't care take care of yourself now get your self-care habits ready now yes because it doesn't get any better let me tell you <laughs> no it gets harder i mean yeah. i'm on my butt i guess i was going to juxtapose that with my writing habits i mean back then i was commuting everywhere and now i you know i really live on my butt in the in my um 
you know, in my office. And I have yeah. this little mini bike pedal under my desk, but it's not oh, yeah. comparable. It's not, yeah. I mean, it's better than nothing. Like I can mm-hmm. get my legs moving a little bit here and there, but you know, I look back on those days with kind of relish <laughs> <laughs> now that they're so far gone. Um, okay. So I just wanted to circle back. We've got a, we've got a few more minutes before we end. And I just want to ping you on, cause I know people are wondering for this perimenopausal person, so you know, cycling through these two monthly phases, what were your interventions? Can you give me kind of an overview of how you worked with her? Yeah, absolutely. So I had her uh, everything baseline, everything, right? We worked on diet primarily because she wasn't eating. So we focused on at least having something to eat, trying to eat or having snacks that were appropriate. And we focused on hydration because when she, the more dehydrated she was, the more her HPA access kicked in and that raised cortisol and that raised VMA. So I was like, look, just the very basic, let's try to control this stuff. And then sleep. She was on her computer late at night because she was a teacher and she was grading papers and stuff. So I said, we had to work on screen time, apps to get the blue light down, and then those ever so sexy blue light blocking glasses Yes, uh, she invested in so that she could, when she, I mean, she had to be at her computer. It was her job, um, but tried to at least minimize the blue light exposure. So we started there first and foremost. So the month she was skipping cycles, we, I actually did add in 5-HTP because she didn't have the estrogen to get from tryptophan to 5-HTP. So I just went ahead and gave her 5-HTP. I said, let's, in fact, you probably need this every month, not, not just the months that, you know, that you don't cycle. And then I gave her, um, uh, adaptogens in the morning and I gave her, uh, uh, like calming adrenal support at night. So I think it was a blend of like, you know, like ashwagandha, theanine, and some other nice stuff that just sort of brought the cortisol down. So I was basically trying to train her like down at night, up in the morning, down at night, up in the morning. And what was the up protocol? Uh, it was actually, it was just adaptogens. So it was, um, it was, I think it was more ashwagandha. It was rhodiola. And I think it actually had vitamin C, some B vitamins. Trying to think, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention companies on here. But. Yeah, yeah, you are. Absolutely. Oh, good. It, it was, yeah. it, <laughs> it was the morning one was, uh, biotics. Um, uh, biotics. Oh, of course. Now that I'm totally spacing. On I it. can just have them look for the adaptogen blend. That's a little yes. more stimulating. ADB5. Oh my gosh. It's biotics ADB5 plus. Okay. That's what I used. And then I did uh, ITI's cortisol manager at night. Okay. Integrative uh, therapeutics cortisol yes. manager. Okay. Perfect. Yep. They and actually, then, yeah, go ahead. Five, five HTP. I just, I did a hundred milligrams. So. Okay. Good. Pretty standard. Good. And then the months where she was feeling PMSy, where she where she could tell she's like my boobs would start hurting and get moodier. I actually had her add in DIM, DIM, um, methane, and said on those months use DIM when you're feeling those symptoms. Uh, I had her do 200 milligrams because I was trying to. She was estrogen dominant those months, like really literally high estrogen. So I said do DIM until you get your period and then stop it because if you use DIM, it will lower estrogen. But on the months she was skipping, yes. she had low estrogen. She didn't need it. It would make her hot flashes work or, or okay. worse. So I did, I did dim. And then I actually, she, um, her progesterone was low the whole time. And we actually decided to do uh, progesterone. I actually added an oral progesterone for her. Now, some people would argue, why didn't you use something like chase tree berry or what have you? And I just find, and you may agree or disagree, I find that the herbs to encourage ovulation, once they're perimenopausal, she was 48. Once you're perimenopausal, like her ovaries are not going to listen to chase tree 
that yes. well, right? Like they're kind of like, ooh, I don't want to get stimulated anymore. I'm pretty much over this. I don't want to get pregnant. So we actually did add in progesterone to help. And one, for two reasons, one on the month she was estrogen dominant and two, because um, she was having anxiety and she was having insomnia. And so while I did cortisol manager at night, the oral progesterone, oral progesterone, uh, when it goes to the liver, it, it goes through first pass and it creates a whole lot of metabolites of which some of them turn into the alpha metabolites and they become what's called allo, A-L-L-O not the plant, but A-L-L-O, and aloe crosses the blood-brain barrier and supports GABA. So another big reason perimenopausal women will say, I'm, I'm having more anxiety is because she's not making the progesterone to make aloe to cross the blood-brain barrier to support the GABA-A receptors. And so um, it, was, it was a twofer for Smart. me. With her. Mm -hmm. Smart. And this is why you skipped topical progesterone. Yes. Is that correct? Yep. Exactly. Because she, if she was not having sleep or in, um, anxiety issues, then I, six of one, half dozen of another, I'd probably would have used topical instead. Okay. Yeah. Great case. That's a great, great case. Yeah. And it was very, and I had, when I, and follow up, you know, she, once I explained it to her, which happens to a lot of our patients, and then she went away and came back for follow up. She said, you, you, like she could, she knew, she knew on the day she skipped lunch and she didn't drink enough water and she was on her computer too late. She said, oh yeah, all my symptoms. I felt hot flashy. I, my anxiety went up. Like she could, then she could totally correlate it and she knew how to self-correct herself. Mm. I was like, great. That's great. Doctor as teacher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're at the end of another fabulous, very user-friendly podcast with Dr. Jones. I just want to thank you again for being a part of our world here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I love talking to you. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to do this again, hopefully in, uh, in the new year sometime. And I don't, maybe we're even doing it again this year. I don't know, but I, I can't remember our schedule. I think either you or Mark might. I think it's Mark next. I think Mark. we're alternating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you'll, you'll get all geeked out with him. Good, good. It'll be fun. All right, Dr. Jones. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Kara. I appreciate it.